Welcome everyone, and thank you for joining us for the Becker's Health IT Plus Revenue Cycle virtual event. My name is Ayla Ellison, and I'm the Managing Editor of Becker's Hospital Review. I'd like to begin today by thanking MediQuant for their sponsorship of today's event as an industry data archiving company. Thank you, MediQuant. I'll be your moderator for today's session on why investments in data analytics and digital innovation remain key during the pandemic. I'm joined by three great panelists today to dive into this topic. And before we begin our discussion, I'd like to start by having each of our panelists introduce themselves and tell us a little bit more about their organizations. So if it's okay with you, Ash, I'll begin with you. Yes, certainly. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Ash Goel. Uh, I work for a Michigan-based health system, a nonprofit health system in Southwest Michigan, Bronson Healthcare. We are a um, multi-billion dollar health system with several locations in nine counties. Uh, we have been actively working in the fields of analytics and certainly look forward to the discussion in how the pandemic has affected the going forward strategy for healthcare and its investment strategy in analytics and innovation. Thank you so much. And Pavan? Pavan, I think you might be on mute. Okay, I was, yes. Hi, this is Pavan Atur, um, the CIO from Hudson Regional Hospital from Secaucus, New Jersey. Uh, we are a standalone hospital with uh, four surgery centers and around six or seven outpatient practices. And, uh, our focus is we are very busy in um, surgical areas. The outpatient practices are also focused on in surgical areas. And uh, during pandemic, we got really busy with, uh, especially in ICU, as, as usual, like any other hospital. And uh, we were the drive-through uh, preferred site for COVID testing for Hudson County. So that was a, a big challenge and it was a, we learned a lot of lessons during that time. So looking forward for the discussion. Thank you so much, Bhavan. And Suresh? Good afternoon, Ayla, and, and hi to uh, Ash and Pawan, my co-panelists. Uh, I'm Srinivasan Suresh. I'm a pediatric emergency physician at UPMC Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh. Uh, I'm also a professor of pediatrics at the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine and uh, the chief of the Division of Health Informatics. On the hospital side, I'm a vice president and the chief medical information officer and looking forward to this discussion about uh, how the pandemic has affected our hospital operations, how we have reacted to it, and what are our plans going forward. So thanks for the opportunity to, to back us for this webinar, thank you. Absolutely, and thank you. Thank you all once again for joining us. Suresh, I'm gonna stick with you for our first question here. Probably have um, each of our other panelists weigh in on this one as well. Um, but just talking about the COVID-19 pandemic, it's really um, emphasized the importance of robust data analytics um, and reporting efforts for health systems. And so I'd like to hear from you a little bit about how your organization has used data analytics to better respond to the challenges of the pandemic. Sure, Ella. So at UPMC Children's Hospital, we have a state-of-the-art data warehouse. So at the onset of the pandemic uh, in mid-March, we used a few tools. Number one, we quickly created a few reports that was distributed to a wide group of 
clinical and administrative leaders, including our quality and infection prevention teams. To give an example, the daily report included just high-level information, how many children were tested, were positive, were admitted, et cetera. The weekly report added further details. What were their additional diagnosis? Did they need ICU stay? Uh, things like that. Uh, number two, UPMC, as a large health system, instituted a dashboard, uh, which is still easily accessed by clinical and administrative leaders. Additionally, the University of Pittsburgh, uh, which is one of the top sites in the world for coronavirus research, and now the COVID vaccine research has its own dashboard. And it's also important that we worked and continue to work closely with state and local agencies, as in the Pennsylvania Department of Health and the Allegheny County Health Department to obtain relevant data and share it with our caregivers. And, and finally, it's also important to be transparent with our own hospital employees. You know, we're talking about uh, patients, but just a word about our own employees. Every two weeks, we have a uh, virtual town hall uh, attended by almost a thousand employees, which is led by our, our president or chief nursing officer and the physician lead for infection prevention. And we share high level information related to COVID with all our employees. So these have been our, our mechanisms uh, for, for sharing information. Thank you. Thank you. And Ash, can you weigh, on, weigh in on this question as well? Um, Suresh mentioned that the way you use data analytics, the new dashboard, and how you're reporting that information um, internally and ex externally as well. Um, can you talk a little bit about how your organization has used da data analytics to respond to these challenges posed by the pandemic? Yes, uh, certainly. I think, uh, and uh, as Suresh mentioned, uh, the speed with which the needs of data sharing and the evolution of the demands of the data that we were trying to gather uh, very rapidly required technology to change the way we were responding to the pandemic. Our journey was fairly similar to what UPMC Children's did. And as I mentioned earlier about our system-wide approach to uh, technology, uh, we had a fairly similar journey around uh, being able to pull real-time data on existing patients, system capacities, availability of isolation beds, availability of ventilators, supplies, PPE, uh, everything that we needed to manage, uh, which was uh, uh, in real-time made available to incident response teams throughout the organization that they could decide where they needed to move resources. We had built surge units. We had added capacities outside of our facilities to be able to manage data there as well was also very, very important for us to take a very rapid cycle approach. Uh, I think uh, fairly similar tools in terms of using data warehousing, using dashboarding technologies, using static and dynamic reporting, and being able to report those not only to internal stakeholders, but to various external stakeholders. You know, again, uh, partnering with the state health departments and you know, moving into the fall season, again, the same sort of scenarios as we are preparing to uh, take on the onslaught of hopefully better prepared response to the pandemic. Uh, similar coordination around curbside testing, around availability of data to know how much testing capacities we have, 
where are our testing capacity located, and looking at responding to the shifting needs of the community, sharing that information with the wider, uh, broader consumer population has all been our strategy uh, and the learning uh, till now. I think one of the important things for us, uh, which I would perhaps uh, also like to highlight is that the result of this transparency has shifted our role from being a health system to being a convener of health in the areas that we serve. And uh, that's a non-traditional role because typically uh, public health is a county or a State Department of Health initiative, but because of the outsized responsibilities of the health systems such as ourselves and others, it has become an interesting pivot for us to think differently. And analytics certainly has played a huge role in how we have been able to gather public data, private data, and try to make it uh, come together to share uh, so that we could also allay the fear, fear in the community as well. Thank you so much. It's it's great to hear about not only what well it's great to hear about the tools that you've developed both so far, but also how um, that has helped you better prepare for what may be coming this fall and um, making sure that um, you know you're pulling that real time data and able to respond in a way um, that's most efficient and providing the best care there. Pavan, I'd love, I'd love to hear from you on this question as well. Just if you had anything to add into an addition or to talk a little bit about the tools that your organization's been using um, as far as data analytics go in responding to the pandemic so far. Yeah, sure. uh, to add to what Suresh and Ash said, we, had, we use similar tools and we quickly had to create some reports, especially because we were doing so many um, tests, so much testing around 500 tests per day to the drive-through clinic outside the hospital and we had to report the test results to the patients and to the state. And so the analytics, we had some dashboards before, but we had to quickly develop new dashboards and also a simple reporting to the patients and their families and to their primary physicians and also internal communication within our management team, especially for lab to be prepared for uh, the necessary lab uh, test kits because um, we were running out of them so quickly because we became the county's preferred testing site and uh, and we also had to give report weekly reports to our business development team so they can publish it out to the uh, community and to and uh, our local politicians also got involved because they were trying to promote uh, awareness among among the community uh, uh, other communities so that way they get tested and don't get delayed in the care so that that was a very busy time and also um, to report to the state that that's it so we don't some systems has direct interface with the state but uh, based on some other things we had to report to the state in a different fashion so we had to work with the state to for alternate routes and uh, general dashboards, dashboards for internal communication. And also we use another tool for zip code based uh, focused analysis for the pa patients to see where they are coming from, where the COVID is more focused in these areas. And we target in those areas to 
outreach to the community. So we get, we are proactive in uh, educating the patients as well as partnering with the respective physicians. And our leadership was key, played a key role, especially our president. Um, so he partnered with some of the local community leaders and uh, some of the other physician practices, uh, primary care physician groups to have the patients go here for testing and we quickly resulted. So, so the resulting two patients uh, reporting the results and then have dashboards and also internal communications in town hall meetings like Suresh said, we had weekly uh, town hall virtual meetings with our employees where our president goes over some of the metrics and because uh, some had to work from home. So it was a mix of several things. Yeah, and it's, it's great to hear how, um, well, each of you shared a little bit about this, but how the data analytics using the dashboards, it, um, you know, not only helped internally with communication, and but also then reporting the numbers to the state and the testing numbers, um, but also being proactive in, in areas that you needed to target, um, where you're seeing um, more testing and more positive tests. So um, thank you all for sort of breaking that down for us and, and, and sharing a bit how you're using those tools and the ones you've developed. Um, I'd like to shift now a little bit and talk about telehealth. Um, you know, of course, this has been such a hot topic, especially during the pandemic and how so many organizations have had to really ramp up their use of telehealth in recent months. So I wanted to hear from each of you a little bit about um, just some of the challenges and opportunities that have been telehealth opportunities and challenges that have been spotlighted by the pandemic and what you've seen in your markets and in your organization. Um, Ash, can we start with you for that question? Yes, uh, certainly. I think, um, as you pointed out, a lot of us uh, had uh, to, again, use that uh, strategy of rapid cycling through what was in place and scale it up massively during this time. I think I still remember the date when we went into a state-mandated uh, change in operations on March 16th when Michigan shut down all emergency and scheduled visits. Uh, before that date, we were on average doing perhaps about 30 to 50 primary care-based telehealth visits to where I think in the middle of April, we were doing about 12 to 14,000 visits a week. And the speed of that change was so dramatic. I think uh, this is also a reflection of the change in provider behavior. Uh, we are all um, somewhat captive to the options that we have. And before this, uh, the biggest uh, barrier for adoption to telehealth was the perception of the degree of uh, comfort that providers would have to this technology to where uh, given no other option and the need to reach out to the patients, uh, we essentially pivoted to training upwards of 500 new providers in a matter of two weeks on the new telehealth platform, provisioning all of their devices, setting them up and telling them go. Uh, so it was uh, quite a bit of a learning exercise for our teams. Uh, we were fortunate in that we had enough uh, 
bandwidth in terms of resources from a technology perspective and uh, equipment to be able to do that. Uh, but uh, we had some teething troubles. We had uh, some significant uh, initial failure rates. So we were tracking the ability to actually deliver and complete these calls. We had upwards of 20% uh, failure rates in the first two weeks when we were pivoting down to where we are now down to about three to four percent, which is not insubstantial, but it is much better than where it was before. Now also we have uh, seen better uh, patient adaptation as well. We have had uh, quite a good engagement even going into this pandemic from uh, our patient engagement using different tools that we had, uh, including patient portals and other mechanisms by which we communicated. So that was very helpful for us. Uh, we have over 350,000 of our patients that are active users of our patient portals and our apps that we have published, which perhaps was the reason why we had the success we had in this uh, shift. Uh, so I'll stop here because I could probably go on for about two hours of this. Uh, I'm sure there's better learnings uh, to be had as we continue down this discussion. Well, thank you so much, Ash. I think it's just remarkable to hear about just the, the pace at which your, your organization was able to shift to telehealth, the number of visits, and then also just the training of providers and how quickly you were um, able to do that and work with physicians there. Um, and I want to hear from Suresh on this question too, just if you could tell us a little bit about um, just some of the challenges and opportunities um, regarding telehealth that have been spotlighted by the pandemic. Sure. Yeah, I think Ash described the challenges well. Um, I'd like to actually mention a couple of wins, even though we talk yeah. about challenges. Fairly early in the pandemic, uh, I think it was March 20th, 28th, something like that, HHS allowed the use of some popular you know, video chat applications for telehealth and also indicated that the OCR, the, uh, the Office of Civil Rights, may not penalize clinicians and providers for, for following HIPAA rules as long as it was done in good faith, uh, if the video visit encounter was, was done in good faith. Additionally, um, maybe a couple of months later, CMS added medical complexity to the billing of, of televisits in addition to time-based billing. So you know, kudos to the feds for that, for doing these. Um, the, the challenge, I'll, I'll put it literally in one word, it's, it's workflow. Um, you know, all of us uh, in, in patient care, whether it's a physician, whether it's a advanced practice provider, the, the clinic, medical assistant, the nurse, all of us have a set workflow um, for in-person or face-to-face -face visits. And, and uh, despite the advantages of, of telemedicine technology, the, uh, the need to switch and pivot to a telemedicine workflow, uh, that, that, is, that is a challenge and, and to do it at short notice. Um, and the technology itself uh, has some constraints, you know, whether it's bandwidth, whether it's integrating with our EMR or any EMR, um, the ability to add, uh, you know, trainees or other uh, clinic personnel like a social worker or a dietitian. And these things we take it for granted during an in-person visit and how do we replicate that in, in uh, televisit? So uh, that was the biggest challenge. Thank you. And 
Pavan, I'd love to hear from you on this question as well. If you could just talk a little bit. We've heard some of the challenges, some wins. There's been some, some great things that have happened with telehealth as well during um, the pandemic. So we'd love to hear from you on this question as well. So here at Hudson Regional, we, we had telemedicine um, services in some areas, especially for neurology and sleep medicine before pandemic. And um, it continued and it increased a little bit during a pandemic for the tele-neurology services, but sleep medicine, because there was some cut down in the elective cases where there, there was a reduction in the sleep studies that happened. And, um, but the other way is we, that, that gives an idea of how we can expand telehealth services. We do have the technology in place. We, we do have the physicians so our leadership is exploring ways, okay, where we could expand this telehealth services in other areas like telepsychiatry, including even hospital services to some extent, they're talking about it. And for us, um, we are in the, we're so close to the New York City and which is the, which was a center for entire country. And we had a lot of cases here. So it turned the other way, the employees, some of the employees had to work from home, especially the non-clinical staff. And we had to accommodate them. So telemedicine is on one side and letting the, supporting the end users and employees to work from home. So that was a bigger challenge to accommodate, um, getting additional licenses for uh, remote access and making sure that it's secure things like that, that was a bigger challenge. And the other area is we also started um, testing few uh, use cases, especially with the COVID patients in-house, um, where we had some glucose, uh, remote glucose monitors. We got some uh, FS Libre scanners and uh, O2 oxygen monitors. We, we started using them and they, they seem to be good because it reduces the exposure to clinical staffs. So those are some of the use cases for uh, that we tried and we plan on expanding uses of those as well. Thank you so much, Pavan. And it's, thank you each of you for kind of sharing those challenges and opportunities. Um, before we move on to the next topic, I just wanted to follow up with you, Ash, and sort of how do you think that, um, you know, you talked about how quickly you've ramped up the number of telehealth visits. Um, we've heard from others about some of these workflow challenges, um, security challenges. So how do you think that um, your telehealth strategy will be affected post-pandemic? Do you see this being something that's more permanent and or do you see it as something that is temporary and then maybe post-pandemic we'll see a shift back to um, fewer and fewer telehealth visits? Yes, I think um, a very good question and certainly very pertinent. There are a few drivers uh, that uh, will perhaps uh, answer that question in a broad sense. Um, number one is, uh, as uh, Suresh mentioned, the ability to be compensated for medicine visits uh, over a telehealth platform were crucial to getting the buy-in we needed from health systems to get there. And it is very much likely that a certain percentage, if not majority of those changes, 
could or indeed should be in place for us to continue the service. We expect that that will be so, at least for a certain percentage of patients. I think it was clearly demonstrated that uh, the quality of care delivered did not change substantially. And we've had some reduction in the volumes that we were seeing as patients indeed have now started coming back into our practices and businesses closer to being normal, but we do expect um, almost uh, one in five or one in four of our patient interactions to continue to be virtual interactions. And that's uh, also uh, because of the benefit of uh, managing patient access because uh, both patients and providers feel that they are able to handle more volumes and thus uh, take care of more patients with the existing uh, bandwidth of their own uh, capacities. I think uh, adding extension services, uh, as Suresh mentioned, you know, adding on uh, telepharmacy, adding on care management and uh, social services, things that do not necessarily uh, have to be done face-to-face -face all the time are going to continue. And indeed, primary care and specialty care in areas, for example, post-operative follow-ups will likely continue to migrate to a virtual world. And uh, we have uh, seen this also as a significant benefit to the reduction in cost of care delivery to our patients, and certainly the payers are likely to be very excited about this as an opportunity as well. And uh, we, we think we will continue down this path. I think uh, time will tell how much of it sticks. Provider behavior has also changed enough to where they're more accepting of this. So all in all, I think it will certainly be uh, in the range of 20%, uh, 25% of our patient encounters likely being virtual for the foreseeable future. Thank you so much, Ash. And it's something that we'll continue to keep an eye on in terms of reimbursement and, and how that um, will affect um, the use of telehealth moving forward. Um, like Suresh mentioned earlier, it's been great to see some of the moves that have been taken during the pandemic from the federal government as far as um, allowing the expansion of telehealth use. So um, hopefully that's something that continues post-pandemic as well. Um, so we've talked a lot today about data analytics, the pandemic, and also um, telehealth use. And I wanted to talk a little bit more about, um, you know, anytime where we're, the conversation is on digital innovation, um, there's always the, the uh, ultimate goal is to either improve patient experience, care, clinician experience, reduce costs. There's a lot of different goals. But I would just love to hear from each of you. Um, a little bit, if we could just say budgets aside, um, what technology do you think has the most potential to really revolutionize patient care at your organization? Um, and Suresh, can we start with you on this one? Yeah, sure. Um, it, it's so hard. It's hard to give a short answer. I'll try. You know, it's it's technology is not. It's it's a great medium. You know, it is never the solution. So when we um, at our hospital think about this it's a great question you know that's uh, what else is transformational right i mean that's what we're trying to figure out not only for for patients but also for our clinicians for our trainees for our visitors for the community at large 
Um, and, and the answer is how do we uh, use uh, or sometimes not use technology and digital health to, to meet all our stakeholders needs. And uh, uh, so that's sort of the overarching answer to get a little bit uh, specific, um, going back to telemedicine, let's say, how do we recreate the environment which we had for face-to-face -face or in-person in visits? Um, do we need peripherals like a telestethoscope or a teleautoscope in pediatrics? So uh, that, that is technology. Again, it's the medium. How can we use it? Should we use it? What's our investment, et cetera? Uh, and just to reinforce the point Ash made, uh, this is important post pandemic, you know, whenever it is six months from now, a year from now, uh, what percentage of visits will we, are we expecting to, for care to be delivered uh, uh, virtually? Uh, it ranges anywhere from 20 to 35. Uh, there was a paper recently by a, a leading consultancy firm and their uh, prediction is uh, a third of home health services, 30, 35%, 24% of all office visits and 20% of all ED visits could go virtual. So we are taking those numbers and, and, and doing the planning. Um, and, and also some uh, people skills here. I know you're talking about technology, but I'm gonna throw that in. Um, because even for experienced clinicians, uh, some of them have never done telemedicine. So, you know, how do you, like what we're doing now, you know, how do you, how do you do it on camera, so to speak? How do you teach uh, web etiquette or, or website manners, as we're calling it, you know, in contrast to bedside manners? So those are the things we are looking at. You know, these are sort of low tech, but I think are, are important uh, going forward. Uh, to teach our, our trainees to, or maybe we can learn from our trainees, the younger generation, you know, as to how, how to do this uh, and also offer robust 24 seven support. So it's not a single technology that's gonna be transformative, I think, but as long as you pay attention to, to all of these so that for the patient who, uh, you know, it's gonna be pretty seamless, whether they, they come to our hospital and have an in-person visit or is it's, a, it's a virtual visit or sometimes store and forward, uh, it should all be good. Thank you. Thank you. So maybe not a specific technology, but all in combination. And then also making sure that clinicians have, I, I love that term that you, you said with the website skills versus bedside skills, but making sure that um, clinicians are properly trained on the use of that as well. Uh, Pavan, can we hear from you on this question? Just budgets aside, what technology do you think has the, the most opportunity to really transform or re revolutionize patient care? Yeah, sure. So, um, as Suresh said, there are several technologies out there that we could put for telemedicine. It's mostly the strategy of the organization and the community where you are in. We, we are surrounded by much bigger health systems in, in New Zealand, Northern Jersey area. And the strategic vision and the leadership, um, their motivation, so that's what really draw, draw this, what, what we're doing now. So for example, here, the, we became the drive-through center for the whole community. And I think the telemedicine is one thing where we are looking to expand drive-through practice, drive-through as a, as a new service line, that's where they're looking. And we still have the drive-through uh, center going on outside of our hospital, that's still active. We are con con continue, continuing to test for the um, sheriff's department, com com uh, county sheriffs and uh, county employees and their families. So that might be even become a service line where we have a drive-through clinic, a drive-through practice right outside the hospital. And also for telemedicine, 
in technology and apart from that the regulatory side if there is some incentive from cms or from the federal government like we did um, uh, during uh, uh, meaningful use time where in different stages where they adopt and the government pay like the several billions for the hospitals and organizations right so hopefully this time for the telemedicine to expand knowing what happened with the covid time um, federal government comes up with something like that that incentivizes people to adapt go more towards telemedicine services Absolutely. And I think it's um, anything that um, helps incentivize that from the health system side or the patient side um, will be a positive thing. Um, we only have a few minutes left in our session here. Um, but before we wrap up, I just wanted each of our panelists to share one final um, takeaway for our attendees today. Um, so Ash, can we begin with you? Is there just one final takeaway about in, uh, investments in data analytics and digital innovation that you'd like to share with um, everyone tuning in today? Uh, certainly, I think um, it sort of blends in the answer to the prior question that Suresh and Pavan were talking about in terms of transformation. Um, health systems should be, and indeed are thinking about uh, patient care as a journey, as a continuum, and an experience continuum. So it is about following the design of the organization around how a patient experiences healthcare. And being agile and being planning their strategy around that transformative shift in how technology can enable both patients, their caregivers, families, communities, us as health system providers, clinicians, and everybody else to develop uh, technologies that follow patients along that path, and uh, us as technologists to be able to enable and make every person and every entry that touches the patient during those multiple steps of the process be able to do their job the best possible way. That would be perhaps the singular most important thing for us to continue to work towards. Uh, various terms are used for things like that. There's one out there that I call as real-time health systems which is about the idea of knowing where all the bits and pieces of the care delivery mechanism at all times, and how can we design systems to help patients get from A to B with the least amount of friction and the clinicians and the support staff to be able to deliver the care with the least amount of uh, resistance uh, is perhaps what I think is most important for us as learning and to continue to work towards. Thank you so much, Ash. And unfortunately, I would love to keep um, all three of our panelists online for another hour. I think there's so much more, maybe even just on telehealth, I think there's another two hour session here that we could dive into. Um, but that is all the time that we have for today's session. I want to once again thank MediQuant for their sponsorship of today's session. And of course, thank you, Ash, Bhavan, um, and Suresh for taking time out of your busy schedules to share your expertise with us today. 
Um, to all the attendees, uh, thank you for joining us and please let us know if you have any questions, comments, feedback, and we look forward to having you join us for future Becker's events.